everybody, this is James. And Marco. And Nabil. And this is the Movie Pals Podcast, podcast number 137. And today we are back on our reg- regular schedule, I guess. We're back on a movie review with a Coppola review, too. So another little double feature for everybody. So if you guys don't know, we've been going through the Coppola films. We took a little break because we stopped in... I get, I'm not trying to make this sound corny, but we stopped in Middle Earth for a while, I guess. <laughs> did, a lot, did a lot of marathoning, you know. Had to get back on that hype. We joined a fellowship, if you will. Yeah. So with that... Yeah, with that being said, uh, we were going to be reviewing the Francis Ford Coppola film, um, The Cotton Club, Encore Edition, which is the director's cut of that film, followed by a review of the new Roku Channel exclusive film, Weird, The Al Yankovic Story. So without further ado, guys, let's get into our Francis Ford Coppola corner. You know, I've been emailing MGM about this, and they will not reply to my email, so I was wondering if you know, when is MGM going to let us see the Encore cut of The Cotton Club? I'm desperate to see it. Well, thank you. Um, uh, uh, It's fairly interesting, the Cotton Club Encore is a real revelation to me more than anyone else because, of course, uh, what it is, for those of you who don't know, I I was poking around uh, up in San Francisco and we we were a company that started to use sort of amateur electronics early on because it was all we could afford, quite frankly. And, and so we use the Betamax recorder to record the different cuts of movies. And now, in 2017, that has been such a boon because the studio were always very irresponsible about taking care of their archival, you know, I mean, the stuff that was just dumped or thrown away is criminal. So if this is your first time joining us, I hope it's not, but maybe it is. We do have some new people listening to us, but we have done a couple of things in about a month as well. So we are moving our way through all of Francis Ford Coppola's films, starting with Dementia 13 all the way to his newest film. And we are actually, just to let you guys know, with this film, this is the 11th film we've done of Coppola now. We are officially halfway there, by the way. To I thought you were going to say, we are the official Francis Ford Coppola <laughs> podcast. That That is true as well. Just to let everybody know, just uh, that is something that uh, we are a proud of being. But, um, you know, I don't think there I don't think there's a lot of Francis Ford Coppola podcasts, but maybe there are. I don't know. Don't worry. He'll be calling us soon to invite us over to his uh, vineyard and give us some his villa. Like, Go to his villa. Yeah. We'll be right then and show those movie friends who's boss. <laughs> so fucking rivals. With, this, with that being said, we do give you a little bit of a heads up and uh, from the last time, we're like, hey, what was the last thing that we uh, watched and what was um, Coppola kind of following his career, like what he was doing. So now we are up to 1984 this time around with the last movie being, um, what was the last movie? God damn, it's been so long, guys. I think it was The Outsiders. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Rumblefish. Rumblefish. Oh, right, right. Right after. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mickey Rourke. We have Mickey to go, Rourke. <laughs> So, um, that yeah, that one was a little weird for us, but uh, <laughs> I enjoyed just, it. Not uh, bad. You liked it more than us, I remember. I was like, yes. I was bored out of my fucking mind. So, uh, from Rumblefish to this new film, The Cotton Club, here's some um, information that we pulled from Wikipedia just to recite to everybody here, just to break it down for you guys, just, just to keep it consistent. Inspired to make The Cotton Club by a picture book history of the nightclub by James Haskins. Robert Evans was the film's original producer. Evans hoped the film would be bring public attention to African-American history in a similar way that Gone with the Wind did for American Civil War and the Reconstruction Era. On December 12, 1980, it was announced that Evans and Paramount Pictures would serve as co-producers of the film, while Robert Altman would direct and Mario Puzo would write. However, Evans and Altman's fam- film Popeye, premiering that day, became a box office flop. And boy, did it flop. Uh, Evans secured $12 million worth of financing from Saudi arms dealer Adnan Khashoggi. Paramount Pictures withdrew from the film in 1981. In 1984, Evans, who intended to direct the film himself after Altman departed, hired William Kennedy and Francis Ford Coppola to rewrite Mario Puzo's story and screenplay. Evans eventually decided that he did not want to direct the film and asked Coppola at the last minute. Evans and Coppola had an adversarial relationship from the production of the Godfather films, but Coppola accepted the jobs as screenwriter and the director because he needed the money. He was deeply in debt because of make, because of his making of One from the Heart with his own money, and his studio, Zotrope Studios, went bankrupt. 
According to William Kennedy, in an interview with Vanity Fair, the budget of the film was $47 million. However, Coppola told the head of Gaumont Film Company, Europe's largest distribution and production company, that he thought the film might cost $65 million to produce. Author Mario Puzo was the original screenwriter and was eventually replaced by William Kennedy, who wrote a rehearsal script in eight days, which the cast used for three weeks prior to shooting. According to actor Gregory Hines, a three-hour film was shot during rehearsals. From July 15th to August 22nd, 1983, 12 scripts were produced, including five during one 48-hour nonstop weekend. Kennedy estimates that between 30 and 40 scripts were turned out. Production began on August 22nd, 1983 at Kaufman Astoria Studios in Queens. Over 600 people built sets, created costumes, and arranged music at a reported $250,000 a day. Holy shit. During the production, many crew members were abruptly fired. Within several weeks, the film was already over budget, allowing Evans to to deduct from the $4 million salary of Coppola, who had not yet been fully paid because the script was still being written and thus incomplete. Coppola reacted by walking off set and refusing to continue directing the film until he was fully paid. Man, he's... To say that this film had a lot of issues, man, is like an understatement. I mean, it seems like a lot so of these So Coppola, did. though. So Coppola, it's right? A, yeah, it's a pattern for Coppola, though. Well, you see, I tried to tell, you know, Frank, you know, <laughs> just add a little lasers, sword fighting. Are you doing a film about monsters, monsters again, Frank? And then so, make it a space um, cowboy movie. <laughs> in 2015, Coppola found an old Betamax video copy of his original cut that ran 25 minutes longer. When originally editing the picture, he, qu- he acquiesced to distributors who wanted a shorter film with a different structure. Between 2015 and 2017, Coppola spent over $500,000 of his own money to restore the film to the original cut. This version, titled The Cotton Club Encore, which is the one we did, by the way, and running 139 minutes, debuted at the Telluride Film Festival on September 1st, 2017. Lionsgate, owner of the Zoetrope Corporation backlog and working in association with the original studio Orion Pictures, released that version theatrically and on DVD and Blu-ray in the fall of 2019. So without further ado, let's move on to our review of The Cotton Club. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to The Cotton Club. Some of the best musicians in the world playing here. That's still killing We're here. I'm looking for Mr. Dutch Schultz. Do you know him? Sure. Everybody knows a Dutchman. I need a guy with your kind of talent. Musical talent. That too. He's showing off again. Showing off is how you get to be a star. You want to do Broadway. You want to do white show business. I want to make it. I mean, really make it. All right, so The Cotton Club, Encore. This was released technically in 2019, but this is the version. It's a film from 1984. The uh, the Encore version version is the director's cut, as you guys uh, heard in our little intro on the top there. The um, Rotten Tomatoes, just like in the Lord of the Rings uh, marathons that we were doing, they do not cover the director's cut, but the original version does have a 77% on Rotten Tomatoes. And this, um, I think this is a really piss poor um, explanation from IMDb, but it's meet the jazz musicians, dancers, owner, and guests like gangster Dutch Schultz of the Cotton Club in 1928 to 1930s Harlem. I think just kind of very some little. of these. Yeah, they're just like, you know... Here's a general premise. You don't need to know any more yeah. of that. Watch the fucking They're like, movie. Welcome, meet the characters. So this is directed by Francis Ford Coppola, of course, and written by William Kennedy and Francis Ford Coppola. This was released on December 14th, 1984. And as we talked about earlier, this had a budget of $58 million And unfortunately, box office bomb here. This has only made $25.9 million, which unfortunately, as you guys know, if you've been following along, and Marco and Nabil definitely know, Kind of a trend for Coppola. With, um, outside of his major ones, his other films all were kind of big financial failures. Over budget and uh, failure at the box office. Yeah. It seems I mean, 30 right. to 40 hey, scripts, what did you think, right? He stayed on, on his budget. He was expecting about $60 million, so, you know, he was there. True. They were undershooting. There's a lot more to the background here, including some fraud and court cases involved in this. I don't know if you guys yeah. read more new at all either but really messy messy and then um the movie was critically acclaimed though it was nominated for a few academy awards so so starring by the way 
Richard Gere as Dixie Dwyer, Gregory Hines as Sandman Williams, Diane Lane, who we know has been in a few, three movies in a row now, Vera Cicero, Lynette McKee as Lilla Rose Oliver, Bob Hoskins, Mr. Mario Brothers himself, Oni Madden, James Remar. Also, I just can't always just, I always just picture Raiden or Raiden from fucking Mortal Kombat for some reason. <laughs> Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Dutch Schultz. Nicholas Cage is uh, Vincent Dwyer. Lisa Jane Persky is Francis Flegenheimer. Maurice Hines is Clay Williams. Lawrence Fishburne shows up in a pretty small role, but this is, I want to say, his third film with Coppola as well. Bumpy Rhodes. And then, of course, I had to include this. Tom Waits, just for Marco, shows up here as Irving Stark. I, I no idea why he keeps fucking using it. Fucking it's just his to. voice, man. It's just his voice. As soon as his voice hit, I was like, oh, I know exactly who this is. doesn't matter what he's wearing. I'm so, I'm so used to it, too. I'm like, yes, yeah. where's Tom Waits? There he is. Yeah, all of the 80s films, I've noticed Tom Waits has been in, either narrated or been in the movie randomly in small roles. Like, I, does he owe him something? And then uh, a very young Jennifer Grey is in this as well. It's Patsy Dwyer. So I don't know if you caught that or not. I didn't even realize it was her. So there you go, sister. So I got to ask, guys. I'm pretty sure... No one's seen this before, but Nabil, have you seen this? Have you seen the Cotton Club? I have Club? not. No, I have not. I've heard have of it, though. Have you even heard of it? Yes. Before this, I have heard of you it. You had? Okay. Yeah. I had not, just to let you know. Uh, what about you, Marco? Any history with the Cotton Club? I have not seen it, no. And uh, no, I have I never heard of it either. Yeah. F- completely new film to me. I, I didn't even know what to expect. I went in blind, too, so I was like, I have no idea. I think it's considered a musical slightly, but um, I can see it. It doesn't remind me of the Irish one with the leprechaun. So, <laughs> second film. <laughs> Question then. I'm going to start with you, Nabil. The Cotton Club Encore. What did you think about it in a few sentences? I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. It was fun. It made me think about why we don't have clubs like that anymore. Because it seems like a good place to kind of go to, you know, live music, jazz stu- clubs, yeah, stage production. It's more, it's more than a jazz club though, because they've got dancing yeah. and singing. It's a, there's a whole thing going on over there, and you know, dinner and a show. Um, he really did a great job of, and I don't because I haven't seen the original. I don't know if it's the same, but at least in this film, I really felt like. I was a part of that club. You saw a lot of stuff happening over there. The shows, the the characters, the behind the scenes, in front of, on the stage. Like there was, there was a lot of. There is a there is a plot, but and and there's like yeah. three plots, uh, and they, it works. I mean, like it all comes together. And I'm not gonna say it's it's crap or anything. It's just that the plots really to me weren't the film because everything that was happening between the plot you were seeing stuff happening on stage. And so I felt way more involved in the ongoings of the club. And he did a great job of just illustrating that and making you feel like you were a part of that throughout the film. And I really enjoyed that part of it. Makes sense. Moving on to Marco, who was actually in the Cotton Club, the original one. What about you, Marco? Well, I mean, they got a few things wrong, first of all. Back in my day, we didn't Costumes were a little inaccurate, I just want to say. The seats were not that color, so I'll show you photos. They're black and white, but I'll break it down for you, boys. They were a little more loosey-goosey. We used to call them zoot suits. (laughs) Marco just started tap dancing. Strange. A little bit. I I agree with Nabil. I, I felt like... It, it was a proper title for the movie, The Cotton Club, because it really is a series of events and plots centered around the club and revolving around the club with, yeah, I guess three major plot points, you know, of, of or three different subsets of people going through it. Obviously, you have the gangster element in it, then you have, you know, the, the crew element uh, of it, and... Then you have the Dixie Dwyer, you know, side story element of it. And it all converges there at the club and happens there at the club. And it's it's wild to kind of see, you know, these stories there. They intertwine and cross each other, but they don't always interact with each other. And I kind of like that. It, it I, Bill said it well. It, it makes the club feel alive and you feel like a part of it. Like you're just like this audience member watching the ins and outs of this club, kind of like a behind the scenes thing. Uh, it reminded me a lot to a point of uh, casino and Goodfellas in some ways. And it felt like almost like casino a pro version of that. And you can, you can see the inspiration 
that some of those movies might have taken from this, especially from the, like the gangster element, wanting to own your own club, aka wanting to own your own casino, uh, trying to you know get rich and make it big, and you know I- escape the awfulness of some of the like the the bad stuff of the club, which you know you you see that in those types of movies as well too. Uh, it felt almost like a bit of ahead of its time, the way it, it was filmed and and the way it it dealt with those plot points. So it really did remind me of those like later gangster movies that kind of did that as well too. And it's like, a, you know, you follow a quote unquote main character, but at the same time, you see all these other tangent stories on the sideline that follow, you know, the the main character or the main storyline as well. And they they cross each other and uh, they don't necessarily always interact but they're part of the full story and the full scope of the of the story so i i like that about it <clears throat> the the musical numbers were, were great at least for you know for the type of movie that it was some of them did go a little little too long but um I'll, I'll say yeah. more on that later yeah um you, james i was surprised by this one um i wasn't fully as sold as probably you guys but i feel like like Dixie and Sandman are supposed to be the two kind of main people on it. And by the way, from what I've read, the um, Encore edition restores a lot of Sandman's scenes because I guess in the original cut, it wasn't as equal. That's kind of what I was thinking. That's why I was like, I wasn't sure how it was before because yeah. his scene specifically a lot more focused on the tap dancing aspect of his performances. And I which feel is, like in a normal showing, fine. it wouldn't have been as long. Yeah. I, I yeah apparently a lot of that was cut so a lot of that twenty five minutes is back is to add Sandman's story back into the movie which is funny because like he's on like the main dude on the poster yeah is, I didn't even yeah. know uh, Richard Gere was in this movie man to tell you the truth so until I saw it, I thought the main guy was Sandman was seeing the poster of it you know so um, Dixie Dwyer's story I think Richard Gere does really good by the way forget yeah, how good um, of an actor he is I haven't seen him seen his movies in a while and I was like is this oh, like yeah, the youngest is, I think of no he was in the, another. <clears throat> film before but officer this is one of the younger officer and the gentleman that one? <laughs> no, not that one i'm thinking of the one with uh um uh, t- there's he did a terrence malick film early on mm. in his in his career where um it is hard to see away. him without his gray hair though his silver fox look it, it seems like he already was getting gray hair right yeah he was yeah. he's one of those guys I, even when he was like 30 years old he had like white hair like that's kind of weird i didn't think diane lane was very good though in this movie huh. didn't work for me and then i looked into it and i found out she got nominated for a razzie too Oh, dang. Also, Sorry. I didn't know Razzies went that far back. Oh, they go quite a bit back. Yeah. So she got nominated, but she lost to someone else. But I thought Bob Hoskins was great. Him and um, hmm. he has a um, a partner in the movie. Frenchie. Yeah, which is Frenchie. I don't think I even put him down here. Shit. But uh, I actually thought they were, they have a moment where Frenchie is kidnapped at one point and then they come back and they have like a really warm moment. I, I actually, it made me chuckle a little bit because yeah, <laughs> I like that part. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Um, James Ramar is just so fucking over the top, dude. There's a scene I'm going to talk about later that I was like shocked was in the movie. I was like, holy fucking shit, this is going but that's, on. James Ramar, that's how he was in the 80s, though. He was, was always I don't, like I don't think I've seen him in a lot of like other films, to tell you the truth. Other than the aforementioned Mortal Kombat. So, you know, <laughs> the, I think it had a really good, like, uh, gaggle of people, lots of people in it. And there was, you know, for the most part, it worked. I liked the setting of it all, too. The club, it seemed like it was everything was going on. And although I think the plot at times suffers a bit because we're looking at the Dixie time uh, setting, you know, plot line. We're looking at the Sandman yeah. plot line and then the mob plot line in the background, right? I think in a way it adds a little bit, not as much focused on one thing, and I think that's where it, it suffers a bit. But for the most part, very entertaining film. I was I was strangely like, like it was a really good it was a good watch. I had nothing, especially coming from the ones that we'd been coming from, where we had complaints about some of the acting and such. That when we got to this, outside of the Diane Lane, I thought it was really well done. That's why even her acting, I, I think. I don't know. It just looked like she was just having fun with it. Like, wasn't really taking it serious. And for me, it kind of worked. So. Like, Nicolas Cage is super over the top, too. Yeah, dude. Nick, oh, my God. By the way, if this no one, is... if you didn't know, Nicolas Cage is Francis Ford Coppola's nephew. So, yeah. He shows That's up. That's why he's starting to show up yeah, in these movies. This is his second films. film now. He was also in Rumblefish in a small role, if you guys remember mm-hmm. as well. Um, so I'm going to uh, work on it. I mean, we've talked a bit about it already too, but Nibble, what for you, what was the things that worked the best? And did you like, I mean, acting wise, you talked about it. Pl- I mean, 
you didn't really dive as much into the plot itself too, but do you agree with no, what me and Marco were I, saying? You know, from a plot perspective, I, yeah, I think that it is. I, I kind of agree with you, James, too. It's, it's, it is a bit thin. Like, there's a story there about Dixie basically falling into the lap of, of being a lapdog for the mob unintentionally. And his character is basically a rolling stone. He doesn't know what he's really doing. And he's just living life he to, just, to no, the he best He just wants he to could. buy his trumpet, but then he but he's not saves black the guy. For that. And, then he's like, and by not black I'm... enough, he's, he's not black. So... <laughs> Um, he couldn't yeah, play and the then you've got the other story with with you know Sandman, who's who's trying to get into the club and wants to perform and wants to stand out as a performer. And then you've got the whole Bobster aspect of it, where that involves um, uh, Bob Hoskins' character Oni Madden, and of course um, yeah. Dutch and and everything else is going over there, and just the whole racketeering thing. You know, for the time period and being set in the twenties. I can see where it's going on over there, and so that does m- make for an interesting enough story. Didn't really have a lot going there. I don't feel and like I don't even. S- yeah, yeah. I was gonna say no, but I don't mean to cut in. But I don't feel like they touched on it enough outside of <clears throat> the kidnapping it is, plot. It's all surface level. Yeah, super brief. Even the kidnapping they're supposed plot to be very thin. They're like prohibition era, right? And they're like they're the ones kind of mention it's, it. Um, so it's no, like, it's pre. I think it's pre-prohibition. If I'm not mistaken. Or it's post, maybe it's post. It's happening right after racketeering and stuff because it's uh, they're they're already serving alcohol in the clubs and everything like that. Nobody seems to have an issue with it, you know. Nothing legal going on there. Well, so so I mean, as a good point, and and again, this is an older film, so it's a spoiler um, all about. But there's a scene where Nick Cage's character Vincent essentially gets murdered uh, because he was well. He was he's playing too too fast with the big boys and, and got himself yeah, yeah got himself killed. Um, but I didn't really feel much for it, and it kind of just moved on. Like you don't even get the time to spend to see Dixie mourning over that because he loved his brother. You could at the beginning they introduce his brother, like you know he it's he's a fuck up, but he loves his brother. And in this sense, he does have a little moment with him. But after the passing, it's just kind of three years later. <laughs> You know, like nothing happens. Kinda, so you yeah. And it's like people's lives go on, right? I, I had the same. Yeah. I had the same exact feeling. I felt like there wasn't enough of him. That's why to be for me to care. Exactly. And he kind of just takes over when um when Dixie starts getting somewhat famous and people are noticing him for his acting, and then it seems like Vincent kind of slides into his role to be a mob enforcer, basically. Yeah, kind of so. exactly. Yeah, and so I think from a plot perspective, that, that kind of helps embody that, though. From a plot perspective, they just don't sit on it a lot. You don't get a lot of... It's all surface level. It's all just kind of to help move things forward. But I will say, from every from like a setting perspective, I feel like they've nailed the period. Like, the, I, I've, I bought into uh, all the outfits, the setting, the, the, the whole idea of the time, you know, the racketeering that they were doing um, at that time before, and especially how it ends, it transitions from the kind of local mobs to um, to the Italian mobsters, which, of course, gets <laughs> explored more in, like, The Godfather and a bunch of other mobster films. But, like, it's showing stuff before the Italian mob and so how kind of things were in the 20s and the early 30s around uh, the Great Depression and what was really going on in New York. So I felt like... They nailed the time period down. They just really didn't go too deep onto any particular subject with it. Makes sense. Anything to note from you, Marco, as well, that you liked about the film? I kind of uh, disagree with the bill there. I think that kind of worked for me. The, I know it was kind of thin as far as like the agency that these people had and their characters, but I felt like that's probably like the whole point, is these stories were supposed to be more like very small anthologies within the greater scope of the cotton club it's it's just about these people that and their lives and their interactions that revolved around this booming popular club where everybody went where everybody was exclusive it was big if you were in there you were big if you were one of the guests then you were connected uh it just i think it just added to the lore of the club itself and and its its significance Truthfully, I almost forgot about Nicolas Cage being in the movie because he disappears for a while. Then all of a sudden, it's he's a, back. It's such a like, minor role. It's a minor yeah. Role I was like, "What the fuck?" Me. I was like, "Now he's kidnapping someone." Crazy but Nick it, Cage. It, yeah, but it still works because it just shows the wildness that happens in this club. Like you, you see even within like the 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 Sandman plot point where like 
he's in the background. He's trying to woo one of the dancers and, you know, he's, he gets into beef with, uh, with, with one of the bouncers there who's super fucking racist and finally gets what he deserves in the end. And I, I kind of like that story arc where it's like, he, they finally get revenge on that motherfucker. Cause he's always just being an asshole to Sandman. But you, you see like what the, what the performers have to go through, like, you know, uh, trying to be in the spotlight, trying to be like a top of their game. You see the gangsters trying to flex, like how much turf they have, how much power they have, how much money they have and you know how they're doing in the rackets. And it, it's just, it it's, it's sprinkled enough around for you to enjoy it, but not enough for one of them to take hold. And that's, that's why I feel like this is like a proto like gangster movie of, or quote unquote modern gangster movie, like Goodfellas or like casino where it, it those movies choose to center on one aspect, which is the like the gangster element of it. And this movie kind of spread it all around. However, where it does suffer for me is in some of the performances. Like I, I felt it lingered a lot on that at some points. Like you have these long song numbers and, and dance numbers and it's like, uh, all right, guys, let's, you know, let's hurry this up. It would have been better if he did kind of more like what he did at the end where it was intertwined with like the story. There was, there was tension going on while there was a performance going on. Um, if, 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 if it was used in order to kind of push the plot along, then um, I felt like that would have been better. There's, there's another good example where they do a montage and um, you see like news, news clippings and news articles of what's like going on in, in the world and stuff and what's going on in the gangster world. And I felt that the musical numbers were used more like that and kind of going back and forth between the performances and the plot. It would have helped like the movie breathe a little bit, but at times I felt like a little suffocated with like all the dancing and all, all like the music and stuff. It's shot. Well, don't get me wrong. And the performances are amazing. Some of those dances are, I'm just like, Holy shit, man, really well choreographed. But then I'm just like, wait a minute, what's what's going on with the other characters though? Like, can we skip this shit? So I think that's kind of the musical aspect of it because I think it's it's, it's yeah. considered a musical technically. But see, the thing with with yeah. musicals is in in good musicals, the music helps carry the plot or helps push the plot forward. And in this, I feel like at times it holds it back, and it's just like, all right, dude, let let go. Let me just let me go see what's going on with the characters. I wish they would have used it more to carry the plot. But that's me nitpicking it. Um, aside from that. Marco, I mean, that's just jazz, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Bill, the zingers. Come join us on the Bill's Corner next week. No, but aside from that, um, it, enjoyable movie. It's not perfect by far. And yeah, at times it, it can get or feel a bit long, even though it's only like two hours and two minutes or something like that. But still enjoyable. For, for what it is. Question then too, uh, Nabil, going back to you, what what didn't work for, what didn't work for you then? We've heard Marco's stuff. What about you? I don't I don't really enjoy the love scenes. You know, the relationship they're trying to put in between uh Dixie and Vera. Like going after that mob boss. Yeah. Especially Girl. because he was so hesitant. He's like, nah. Because he seemed like a pretty smart guy. This. She's like, we should. You know, like, okay. from the beginning, they set him up as like, I'm no fool. I'm not trying to get involved with this. Everything's fine. But then it's like, oh, but the attraction is unbearable and we're going to be with each other. I was like, mm, you kind of just force it. And like, over time, you can kind of see the on and off again kinda. being okay. But I feel like that relationship was, you know, either he was Sometimes totally that just her, happens to Bill. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Marcus talking from experience here, <laughs> so, a little bit. I I just feel like that relationship was kind of uh, like okay, and I kind of agree with some of the reviews. Like, I like dying late in this film, sure, but also was she the strongest character here? Like, I actually enjoyed uh, Lynette McKee way more, you know, and I wish they had more of her for her storyline because I feel you know, like she's. I feel like a lot of her stuff was maybe restored to part of that time. Probably, that yeah. I mean, I think that that number that she she had a, a solo piece. I think that was an ad, completely added on scene because uh, I don't that, that they wouldn't have spent that much time for her to do a complete song like that. But like she had a much more interesting arc, and they kind of just went back and forth between uh, just a little bit of dabbling with her relationship with Sandman, 
but I think those kind of things were forced. Um, the and again, I think the plot is really what kind of pour me back a bit on what I felt on the actual story of the film. But I enjoyed. Uh, there's a lot of specific bad things. It's not everything's not just strong. Everything could be stronger. But I do enjoy the uh, cinematography. I enjoy the music. I actually enjoyed some of those segments where they're doing a lot more of the dancing. Um, the tap dancing stuff, the the scene where they were in the men's club and had a little dance off kind of thing. That was pretty fun. So those those things were were what really got me going into the film. It was more the aspect of the film. <laughs> the plot the tap was, dancing was, was, is actually surprisingly quite well done. It's very know. well choreographed. Yeah. And it's surprising I, to see like Gregory Hines, like he must have really been practicing because I can't imagine he was just a natural tap dancer because he, he does awesome in the film. It was really well done. I also want to bring up something too that I I didn't think, I guess with a mob kind of storyline, I forgot that there would be probably and then Coppola like there's some pretty extreme violence in this movie. Yeah, James Tremar has a scene where he stabs a guy through the neck, and there's blood everywhere, and it drips down from a chandelier, and I was like, it's just it's insane. It's like it's a bloodbath. First fucking like I think ten it's the minutes first of the film, the most brutal thing that comes out of that film at first, like you don't expect it. It's at all it was everywhere. so it was so shocking i was like the guy was just pissing him off and they they were kind of supposed to have like a truce and then they're kind of egging each other on as they're getting like food at the fucking party and then he just grabs a knife and he just fucking chucks it through his neck and i was like Whoa. i mean he was being a dick though well they both were man i mean like it was wild i mean later on you see people get shot in the head and it's like okay this is pretty fucking over the top I'm like okay fuck i forgot i forgot this is like like a mob movie still in a way, like this, another subplot of a mob movie, right? So so moving on with that then, guys, to wrap it up here, basically, what do you think of this compared to other Coppola films? Now that we're halfway done, like kind of want like an overall, like what do you guys have thought of the first love films? Have you um, um, enjoyed what we've done so far? Have you seen how he's kind of growing or kind of getting used to Coppola, his antics, I guess, or his directorial style, I would say? Starting with you, Nabil. You know, this particular film felt I could have I would have believed somebody else directed this film. Like I'm not seeing a lot of the Coppola signature in this. Like uh, there's something, sure, but I I mean like I don't feel like the cinematography was super strong. I feel like from a, a musical perspective compared to some of the other the, the two other kind of musicals he's done that it it doesn't really fall in the same kind of the kind of standard that he was doing in those films. It's not the same feel it's just it doesn't really feel like a coppola film from a directorial standpoint from a writing perspective yeah i can i could see just how the dialogue the chewing of some of the scenes as the that from the the pacing that that all kind of lines up with what he's done in his films and and that i think for the most part that works okay but from a directorial standpoint i don't think it it lines up the same i like it does feel like a different film from from the other stuff he's done with that said yeah i've enjoyed his you know his his run of the 60s 70s 80s films like he's done really well um i think kind it's, of the journey it's, so far yeah i this this may be a um a tipping point you know i was thinking maybe it was like Wumblefish or something but maybe this is starting to get to the tipping point of like he's now finally off the end and he's going to be just transitioning to something completely different for the next era yeah maybe what about you marco what, what, do, what are your thoughts on it I mean, it feels more like a, a blend of his past films and, and styles all mixed into one with, the, I mean, with the exception of like the big, you know, blockbuster that is, you know, Apocalypse Now. But you can see him borrow elements from my like, Godfather, from Mobile Fish, from Outsiders. You see it in the in the types of angles and the shots that he takes. It still feels stylistic, kind of like him, especially now being more seasoned with his style. But I think if you are just a, a, a novice film watcher or just your average film film watcher you probably wouldn't be able to tell that this is a Coppola film but you still see like elements like the scene where uh, Nick Cage uh, dies and he's getting like just murked by a Tommy gun it reminded me a lot of when Sonny died in The Godfather there's a scene I don't know what it is but it's like when um, it's it's also Nick Cage and he he uses a a similar like camera angle like he used in Rumblefish is like a close-up face shot and uh, the the way he films like the musical numbers and stuff like that you see it from like his previous films and in doing that that type of genre 
So it, it's it's almost like he's he's sprinkling a little bit of what he's learned in the past and into this type of film. And again, though it's not like perfect, it it still sort of works and it's still in, in, enjoyable for the most part. I've I've think I've been liking most of his films on here. There you know there've been a few couple duds here and there where I'm just like. I'm never going to see this movie again. One from the heart is definitely one of them, but you, you can see him still like borrowing from his visions of those films and incorporating it into, into this movie. Yeah. I, I agree with Marco for a lot of that. It's just strange that one from the heart. I still remember a lot of the cinematography though. I'm like, you know what? Good looking movie though. And we're all Julia. Good guy. So just a little shout out there. Yeah. A little check back a couple episodes. You guys can hear us all about that. But um, yeah, there's a lot. I, I agree with Marco. Not so much Nabil. I, I, I see it as a blend. There's a lot of scenes. Even the scenes in the club remind me of a lot of the Godfather kind of scenes. Tell you the truth. So the way that those are filmed and the way the crowd comes in, when like especially when the last sequence is happening and everyone's kind of coming in at the same time and everybody has like, it, it's all kind of, they're all conver- converging into one spot now finally. And I felt like that would really remind me a lot of like the, the wedding scene, for instance, in Godfather 1 or 2. Or two is the Christian Christianing, sorry. But um solid I think it it was it, so far the eleven films we've done, like yeah, there's been some misses, but it's been really interesting. Like we haven't really you know, we chose this for a reason. It's kinda cause Coppola we found as some really popular films and a lot of films that nobody's ever heard about. And hell, this is one of them to me at least, but it's been fun so far, kinda discovering things. I feel like oh, I feel like we're becoming experts at like critiquing uh, (laughs) Francis Coppola films which is fucking weird like put that on our resume too Coppola aficionados yeah well if you want to know anything 84 before I'm pretty solid on it right now so alright guys let's rate this one and then um, head over to our main review so Nabil starting with you what would you uh, rate this one 1 out of 5 and would you recommend it I give this a a 3.5 stars and yeah, I would recommend this film. I think it's definitely worth a watch. Very strong performances. Um, and from a genre perspective, a bit unique. You don't see a lot of these style films. So yeah, I would definitely recommend uh, it a strong watch. Anybody who enjoys a, a good, especially a good period piece in this sense, um, will enjoy this film. Nice. And uh, what about you, Marco? I also give it a three and a half stars. It's quite an enjoyable film. Again, it does tend to feel long in some in some spots, but um, still, like the the overall stories of each characters and the overall like scenery and plot does does make up for it. So yeah, check it out. Nice. I will say this much too for the the film because this is the director's cut too, and Francis Ford Coppola has been doing it to a lot of his movies. This is actually remastered in 4K. It actually looks really good in 4K too. I'll bring that up. So. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, good. yeah, I'm going to finish it out, guys. I also gave this three and a half stars, so I think this is a pretty solid watch. A complete unknown movie to me as well. Like, I never even... I don't even think I've heard of this movie before. So, Or if I did, I was sleeping Same. during film class. So it's one of those kind of things. So that's not uncommon either. So with that being said, I would also recommend it. Uh, just check it out if you're um, a fan of that kind of post-prohibition era. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's what to look into. Or it was fun. It's fun to watch. So let's move on now to our main review of Weird: The Al Yankovic Story. Let's stop here for a moment to let you all know about Newsly. Newsly is an all-in-one audio super app for iOS and Android. It picks up the most trending articles on the web on topics you choose at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time ever, the entire web becomes listenable, all in one place. Browse articles from topics you choose and start playing. You can follow any topic as specific as you like, from sports, tech, business, science, Bitcoin, or heck, even the Kardashians. Newsly will find you the latest articles and read them to you aloud. They even have digital radio. Did we mention they also have podcasts from over 80 countries? Well, they do, and guess what? The Movie Pals podcast is there, too. I started using Newsly as my default podcast player, and I can't think of ever going back. Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me or from the link in our description. And make sure to use our promo code TMPALS, that's T-M-P-A-L-S, to receive a one-month free premium subscription. Newsly, stop scrolling and start listening.
put it in. I'm tired of people thinking I'm some kind of joke. Your dad and I agreed it would be best if you just stop being who you are and doing the things you love. My whole life, all I wanted. I'm afraid we found your son at a polka party. Just to make up new words to a song that already exists. Oh, well, you should do that then. Who my little hungry one? Hungry one. Open up a package of my banana. Dude, I've got chills. Weird. The Al Yankovic story. This is currently sitting at 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. The synopsis explores every facet of Yankovic's life, from his meteoric rise to fame with early hits like Eat It and Like a Surgeon, to his torrid celebrity love affairs and famously depraved lifestyle. This is directed by Eric Apple, or Appel, written by Weird Al Yankovic and Eric Appel. This was released on November 5th on the Roku channel. It stars Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al Yankovic, Evan Rachel Wood as Madonna, Rain Wilson as Dr. Demento, and Toby Huss as Nick Yankovic. There's a there's a, not a lot to talk about, and yet there's so much to talk about in this film as far yeah. as what they were trying to bring here um, and what they were doing. Let me start with you, James. What were your thoughts on this quote-unquote biopic for Weird so, Al Yankovic? So right off the bat, too, by the way, we are there's not a lot to spoil in this movie, so there's really yeah. no spoiler. But, I mean, we are going to be talking about it fully, so if you don't want to... I mean, there's nothing to really spoil, but I, mean, I didn't realize alive, so. watching it that it was... Um, the the setup of it was completely like false. Like it's like there's very little truth to this entire fucking movie. Yes. Um I actually thought from the initial trailer that had come out a couple months ago that it was like a bio like a real biopic. I was like, oh that's kind of fucking weird, right? Strange enough, no pun intended, I guess, for Weird Al. But um I would I wouldn't say that I'm like a Weird Al fan. I think I know a lot of his songs because a few of them have been at least during certain time periods, were really fucking popular, you know. And like, um, I'm sure you've heard of "Eat It." Yeah, of course. Yeah, like that was fucking one of it's hilarious songs. too. The music videos are hilarious yeah. for him. It's it's like a comedy thing. And mm-hmm. um, just to talk about this overall, I actually thought it was it wasn't bad. I didn't think it was like laugh out loud crazy funny. Like some people were comparing it to like Naked Gun in Airplane. I don't think it reaches that at all. I don't feel, in my yeah, opinion. I don't feel. But I did, I did laugh a few times. I was, I watched it with Bailey. Just you know, he's a dog, and he just chilled with me. And there were a few times that it was like kind of surprising how stupid the movie was, and I, I, I laughed like a dumbass. So, um, <laughs> that's all I'll say for now until <laughs> we jump into it. But yeah, okay, okay. Uh, how about you, Marco? Um, thoughts on that? I mean, did did it bring you a lot of nostalgia seeing Weird Al Yankovic? You know, just playing the old classic hits for you. It did. Yeah, I remember when he first started. I actually went to one of his earlier shows when I was the Marco Rock knows how to play the accordion, bro. What are you talking about? What are you yeah, talking about? Fuck yeah, I learned because of Weird Al. Fucking see me, man. Show you some show you some sweet moves. No, I'm just kidding. I'm I'm kind of in alignment with James where I I <laughs> I wasn't expecting it to be basically a spoof of his life. I thought it was going to be kind of like the Elton John movie Rocket Man, where it takes its liberties, you know. But it yeah, it I tells you the story of a weird like owl. An imagine, and then like pretty an soon I'm just like, oh, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, oh, I see what you did. It's a whole parody of your okay. And then I was like, of because of course that makes sense. Like you make parodies of real life songs. Why not make a parody of a biopic and a parody of your life? Like that's I'm like that's actually pretty fucking genius um yeah some of the jokes hit some of the funny moments hit others i'm just like oh my god this is too fucking over the top but uh yeah, daniel radcliffe does a good job pulling it off you know um i don't think i've really seen him in anything outside of harry potter so um oh, you're missing out he, my friend oh i know he was really i know I was, <laughs> he's an interesting actor swiss yeah. army man look at that one oh, that's that's the one i actually want to see but uh, I feel yeah. he immerses himself 
into the role pretty well. And I actually like, I see Weird Al, which is cool. So that, that part of it sold, uh, with the exception of like, uh, I don't mean to be mean, but I mean, I'm, I just point, I just noticed that I was like, I could have sworn, you know, Weird Al seems kind of like an average height, tall guy, but you know, they, they didn't really use much trick photography on Daniel Radcliffe and he's definitely shorter than some of the other actors. I'm like, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure Weird Al's a little taller than that, but that's all right. But yeah, it was, uh, that's what stood out to you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, not him killing yeah, fucking sure uh, the fucking cartel guy. Uh, that I mean, I'll get into what I else stood out, but I mean, if oh, I'm just like, pointing one it? thing out, the height, just the height, like, bro, just out of the character, the the height. <laughs> I was like, hmm, Weird Al seems taller. That's all. No, there are many other things that stood out, obviously, but um, we'll get into that later. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I. Echo a lot of your guys' feedback. Honestly, the the film itself was it was funny. You know, it's a parody. It's but like James said, I don't know if I thought every aspect of it was laugh out loud, but I did find myself chuckling at quite a few things that caught me off guard, like the Colombian death squad <laughs> that he was going after, um, and then his just brash drunkenness on stage when that was which by the way has never happened because i guess he does not drink or do drugs at all and yeah they yeah. just overblow so, it just to make it look like he had a substance fucking issue yeah the relationship with madonna <laughs> like, which that's some of these are all based off of like some grain of truth like there was a rumor that he had a small thing with madonna there oh, was really? a uh, yeah there was a thing yeah. about um the like the my Bologna song was actually recorded in a bathroom. In a bathroom, but it was happen, in the university so. or something. Not in a, yeah, it was at the school, bus though. stop where they threw fucking people out. Yeah, guy was taking so, a and shit, it, and they're like, "Get out of here." He did. He and did the, uh, learn about the accordion from a salesman too. So he did. Yeah, the accordion got, was actually from a, a salesman. <laughs> oh, that sold did his dad beat the shit out of the guy for no reason? <laughs> but no. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> dude, when that part happened, that's when I was like. Oh, that's a little off. I was like, wait oh, a minute. I realized it was pretty <laughs> off when um, he started talking about the fact that he lost his hand at a repair shop. I was like, it no, looked terrible no, too. It's just a fa- glove. The factory. And he's like, what What do you do there? <laughs> he's like, what, what do you guys what, make? What kind of when you will come down to the factory and find out. I was yeah. like, wait, what? And then later and he it falls up. Doesn't know what he he does asked there. the guy, he's like, your dad told me you're a comedian. Sorry. <laughs> Like those things are funny. Those aspects. Of yeah, the, I chuckled at those quite a bit. Aspects. Or like yeah. she finds or his the dad, shirt. It's just like oh, his, no. yeah, his dad shows him he's got the shirt underneath. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, family. Oh, yeah. That's stupid. Um. Yeah. So I mean, like from a story perspective, like there's definitely some some funny aspects of it. So I feel like comical. I should have watched this if it was possible to watch it with you guys as a group. It would have been funny. Yeah, to watch I think that would have been too. Good. That's that's how I felt too. This really yeah. felt like it should have been a theater experience because of yeah. the comedy. Like you want to be collective with a bunch of other people and kind of laughing all at the same time, finding something stupid that came up on screen. Yeah. Watching and it with the along he, to he the songs too. He didn't. Yeah, like, I see. I don't know the songs that well. I mean, the, you you would sing at least the hook, though. You know the hooks for, for each one of his songs, because they're like, parody is a real I song. Mean, they only so. did like four songs. Well, so, yeah. Everything, ex- I mean, except Beat It. Beat It was, or sorry, Eat It yeah. was, t- he was ripped off, apparently, in this universe. Yeah. Michael was, Jackson came yeah, the original. It was original. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious that he's like, it's all my, me. completely he's original like, song. The guy's like, you, you produced a song all by yourself? Exactly. Because <laughs> <So>. he's <laughs> going legit. Yeah, and it plays on those archetypes, right? Of all of these biopics that have been out recently, especially like it's it's setting up the same thing of all the drama that happens and you know the 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 downfall and the highs and lows that they go through. Like it's it's all parodied on, and it does. I think yeah. it actually does that really well because you go through it, you know, you kind of know what's supposed to happen next, and it's funny the way they they kind of um, exaggerated. They they play it straight too, like. Yeah, which I guess it would be the reference to the naked gun airplane is that the comedy itself is not played for straight laughs. It's played like everyone in the in the movie itself but that's is still slapstick, super though. serious, right? It's serious mm-hmm. but slapstick on, on those naked gun films. I yeah, feel like because it's overtly to a silly. point. To a point, like Leslie Nielsen is has always played it straight, and that's why it's so fucking funny. Yeah, because he's super serious while you know he's doing the wackiest shit, and this one is. Sort of like that to a point, but there's a lot of moments that's really over the top, and you know, yeah, 
I thought Rain oh, Wilson uh, was good too, by the way. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. Dr. Demento. I I don't know what that if that's a real person. He's a real person. Some kind of real thing. Really okay, really really yeah, mm-hmm. he's still yeah, alive. He still releases stuff. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's just funny that like he's going to adopt character. them. Oh, yeah. I just made it with my dad. He's like, <laughs> really? And he just puts the book away. Like, oh, okay, that's cool. No, I mean, it's you cool. Know. No, we're fine. It was supposed to be like a really heartfelt this moment. And shit, I laughed at that part. <laughs> so. Well, okay, so we've talked a little bit about the fact that it was a parody, but uh, Marco, kind of jump back to your thoughts on Daniel Radcliffe as you had kind of touched a little bit on that. Um, how did you feel he did as playing Weird Al outside of his height? I think he did pretty good, man. He he was good at being like weird and stuff because Weird Al Yankovic, he also not fully but he would when he did his parodies it would be like he's he's taking it serious and stuff and but really it's talking about like silly shit like the video of eat it he's he's got the mean face and stuff but he's talking about like eating and shit um (laughs) you know same with uh when he does uh when he um when he riffs on uh, gangster's paradise and does amish paradise like same thing and daniel radcliffe brought that to the screen like he did a good job at being freaking weird and 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 hilarious while also like over the top and serious so i felt it was like a good blend for uh for his interpretation of of weird al and it works and i think that it's uh it's indistinguishable from the weird like from actual like weird al so i i think his performance is very strong and i i liked it so yeah. what about you james any thoughts on any of the other acting or or even on daniel Reichel? Like, did you feel like what did you think about say evan rachel wood as madonna like did anything really stand kind of hilarious there? which is funny um yeah she she she's kind of like the villain i guess technically in this fucking movie she i guess is. in a way i don't really know but there's a <laughs> i think one of the funniest scenes is at the fucking very end she just has that fucking patch and she's like take this shot and they fucking <laughs> kill it and they just fucking kill his ass after he pissed himself on stage. I thought that was the funniest part. Just on stage, yeah. He's just pissing himself. And they all just kind of look and, and look. And they oh. just fucking shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just like, keep oh, oh, they're just like he got killed that day. I was like, what the fuck are they doing? <laughs> That's how it ends. He got oh. shot all the times, bro. <laughs> so, he fucking you know. dies in the eighties. I know. Oh, he dies in the eighties. Even though he did Amish Paradise, right? which would have been a nineties song too, by the way. I know. None of the timelines made sense. Yeah. I was like, no. what the fuck? Yeah, she I, I gotta She did good. I'm I gotta sorry, agree with James there though. I yeah, actually I it was you know, funny. she was over the t- she's way over the top, which she, is like she she looked like she was having a great time, which uh, I was telling my wife, I was surprised. You're like, Evan Rachel Wood never has a great time on set. Yeah, so most of the film she does, she looks like she's having a terrible time at it. But this time she looked like she was like, you know, she was enjoying this. Yeah. It seemed like it. Like she's super over the top and it's so random. She's so random in this movie, dude. And then she gets kidnapped by Fucking Pablo Escobar, Pablo Escobar. <laughs> like, but then becomes a drug dealer. She or, or and then drug she lord takes, takes over, over his. For him. Yeah, she takes over the the fucking the empire, and it's like, wait, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> I love how Danny Radcliffe just picked up a gun. And he kills a guy. And he's like, this will do or something, and it's just so fucking random, dude. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I must have laughed a bit more than I thought. Quite quite a a, a few. Uh, entertaining scenes as a whole. Just for st- I mean, yeah. one scene that stands out for me is where he's at the pool party and he meets a bunch of celebrities. And he's, there is so meets- many cameos. Yeah, there's in so that many one cameos, scene, by the way. Which one of the you know one of the funnier things was where he does a, a parody of "We Will Rock You" and at the end of it, the the basis for for Queen says, "Hey, you want to join us to do Live Aid?" And he looks at him and like, "Fuck no!" no he's yeah. like, "Nope!" And they're all laughing at him. I know they're like, "Loser!" And then Jack Black as a uh, Wolfman Jack or what yeah. his name is. That was he was that was, that was funny. I like yeah. hilarious. A lot of gamers there. Were there any uh, Margot? Was there any other scenes that really stood out to you that you felt like really you know made you laugh? Uh, I think we've we basically talked about all of them. The the factory scene where you know his his dad reveals the Hawaiian shirt underneath the, the Pablo Escobar scene, 
Um, the, <laughs> yeah, the, I was gonna say the the pool party too. That was it, it, they put him on the spot and just have him make up a song right then and there. So um, that one was really funny. The scene, all, all the scenes with with Madonna were hilarious too, just because of how over the top she is and. <laughs> Oh, she's wearing all of Madonna's fucking famous outfits in every fucking yeah, scene. That's hilarious. Really and all the only reason he's like the only reason she's with you is because if you do a parody of her song, she's gonna go big. Like it's all relying yeah. on him and shit. She's gonna get the Yankovic yeah. bump. Uh, whenever he got any ideas for his songs, like it was hilarious. It's like they're it's like they're saying it, but they're like not like they're not pointing at it, but they're saying it, really hinting it really hard. Like when he he's sitting at the table with his parents and. Uh, she never does. The, he she talks about the I'm fat thing, but they don't do yeah. the song though. I was like, yeah, yeah they didn't no. do the song though. Which I think is hilarious too. But, but it's funny, like his it. he's like, I was Amish, and then like obviously as soon as they said that, I was like, oh okay, yeah, oh uh, here we go, Amish yeah. paradise. Yeah. And then it's like an animated sequence. Like, what the fuck is this? So <laughs> out of nowhere, <laughs> so random, right? I was like, oh, this is super random. So well, what about on your end, James? Is there anything that you felt maybe didn't work? We've talked a lot about positive things, but was there something you didn't I would like say about that's... this movie? Yeah, there's there's a few jokes that do not land at all. It just comes off as super corny. I would have actually liked a few more songs added in there because he has quite a few more. But it's like I get it. Yeah, I did like, feel that the they're a little the light on the song, which is kind of strange. Like you said, I think there's only like four songs in this movie, right? Which is weird. Yeah. You know, for the most part, it was one of those things where I guess they're just kind of showing like it's more of like. The over the topness and like showing him, you know, like his like downfall near the end, I guess, kind of. But it worked for me for the most part. So I wasn't, nothing was super out of place for me on this one. So, yeah. like I said, just some of them didn't land. Anything on your end, Marco, that you felt just wasn't working for you? Uh, nothing in particular. Just sometimes it did go like a little over the top. And it's like, all right, you know, reel it back, <laughs> you know, chill out. Cause it just, it didn't like <laughs> Jane said, it didn't parody. land or wasn't uh, as hilarious. <laughs> I do. I do wish they would have done uh, or had a mention of uh, the UHF movie, which I've never yeah, seen, but I, was I want to. I was waiting for that. I was kind of hoping yeah. they'd show which him going to show which is supposed to be kind of based on his life too, right? I think. Yeah, yeah. UHF was way more. Yeah, yeah. Like he, so, he's um, in it, right? Yes, yeah. he's in it. Might have and, to check uh, that out one day. Yeah, just a, a few more of his parody songs, like James was saying, also as well. I wish they would have had more, but that that's about it. Mm. Well, I mean, besides the the film itself, what another thing that's unique for I think all of us here is that it was actually played on a new app for us, Roku, which Roku is a pretty big streaming player right now as far as like home home devices. A lot of people have that at home now as a cheap alternative to like an Apple TV or even a Chromecast or Amazon Fire. Um, but they do have their own app. You can get it on quite a few, uh, or I guess a few services such as apple tv or samsung television um or Roku not device. on apple tv not on apple tv is it not on apple tv oh no sir <laughs> well then i guess the question will be for you james how did you end up actually watching this <laughs> how did i end up watching this so just just off the bat the main three are samsung televisions have the Roku channel app fire tvs have them too and then obviously there's an there's an app uh Mobile wise, you can built in on the Roku. They, yeah. they make it very hard. You can't cast them. You can't fucking airplay them to anything. So I was lucky. I'm watching Bailey this week for my girlfriend. So I'm at her parents' house, and they have a Samsung TV. So I downloaded the app on here. Um, and also, by the way, if you obviously have a Roku device, you can watch. How many updates too. did you have to do? Quite a few on this one. I think it was a little outdated, <laughs> but it was fine. So I played on here, and it worked fine. So that's how I watched it. So, so I will say Apple. this much. Adding to that, the ads weren't as bad as I thought they were going to be. Yeah, I don't know if this well, was like a like special a thing. Twenty minutes, or a minute, twenty seconds, something like that is what I was getting yeah. a lot of. Near the end, there was one that had four or something, I think, but it wasn't that bad. So and I, I thought it was going to be more of a hindrance, but it actually wasn't that bad, which is rare yeah. of me to say. So yeah, I honestly, until you brought it up, I completely forgot there were ads. <laughs> Watching so. Yeah, well, I had the uh, throwback 2008 setup where I hooked up my laptop. To my oh, television with an HDMI cord and watched it that way. Did that. And I it was funny because I watched uh, this guy, Jeremy Johns, on YouTube, who also does movie reviews. Check him I out. Not a sponsor. He did the same thing. He did the fucking same thing. And yeah. I was fucking dying because I was like, oh my God, I, I felt seen. I felt seen, guys. <laughs> so 
There are easier. Uh, he. Had, it's funny though. If you have an Apple TV like him, he could have actually done something called screen mirroring from your phone directly yeah, I was gonna to say, it. They could it, do a mirror. It works cast. too that way. I tried it yeah. at home. If I was going to do it, so there are ways. Just that did show his. True. I know he calls out that he's like an old man complaining. So I'm like, yeah, that, that makes sense. That reminds me of my yeah. parents. Yeah. So. <laughs> you want the convenience. You don't want to bust out the laptop. Yeah, exactly. I get it. They probably have licensing with certain brands, and I know yeah. for you though. Nabil is probably the I easiest. I actually have a Roku device. Yeah, yeah, so I was able to watch it directly on there. And and Roku, <laughs> they uh, they were the vultures that um, picked at the dying body carcass of Quibi and took all their uh, originals they have, too. So they built up oh, their little library that. of things. Yeah, they took over all of the uh, Quibi stuff um, and just oh, wow. kind of incorporated that. So if there's anything that you kind of wanted to see um, that was there, you know, that you didn't want to spend the money for, it's on the Roku channel app. <laughs> I don't think there's um, anything on Quibi that anyone ever needs to see. No, yeah, there's um, nothing that. Correct me if except I'm wrong. for the Reno 911 show. That actually, the reboot was actually I, pretty cool. I, I that was the <laughs> one trailer I saw quite a few times. So I was like, oh, Reno 911 yeah. ended up on here. Okay. Mm-hmm. But oh. um, but yeah, I did. It was pretty seamless. I actually like the Roku interface. To be honest, um, it's. It's pretty streamlined, and there are actually some smart TVs that have that as its default uh, platform oh, as yeah. a as a UI, I which that, yeah. I think is pretty cool um, compared to some of the other ones that are more generic. It's strange to me that they do not have some kind of premium pricing just to get no ads. Yeah, uh, like even like Crackle or fucking was it Pluto TV? None of them have like a premium service, which is strange. Like. Because sometimes they have exclusive films. I'm like, I want to watch this, but I don't want to do the ads. But now that I've seen something with an ad, I'm like, I guess it wasn't that bad. As long as it's, yeah. I mean, I could I could live with like a minute and a half. You get more money ads. with them ads, man. You Probably do. less people. Get, that's um, how they make. That's how they make. But their, and anybody yeah, can go on. Less it. people password sharing too. You, you what's just the point? get on the yeah. You just get on the app and you just watch whatever. True. That's what they're trying to do. Overall, but, it like wasn't. You said, a, James, I will it's not say on everything though. Yes, that is the we. I almost guarantee because of the way that it's set up, that's why it won't be on other ones. Yeah. Um. But I mean, it was it wasn't a bad experience from at least like I said, it was on the TV here directly, so it was really easy to do. So sure. Um. Okay. So let's just talk about the star rating. What we thought. What we ranked this film. Uh, James, what did you rate this out of five stars? I gave it a three and a half. Actually, I was surprised by this one. I laughed a lot more than I thought I did. Plus, that ending is just fucking Chef's kiss. Like it's just, <laughs> and then they had the fake fucking like funeral going on, <laughs> fucking just the photos, and I don't know Even why, man. I was I was literally was crying laughing throughout the whole song too. Which one? I don't know if you guys watched the full through the credits and was like, listen, yeah, the, you know, the shitty Photoshop do an original song. He even has a, a saying on here. Technically, this song uh, can be uh, submitted to the Academy as an for. Uh, a nomination. Yeah, it's a new song, right? At the end. Yeah, because it's a yeah, new song. Heard, and then during the credits, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Marco, what about you? I'm, wow, I'm also tied. Three and a half stars, man. It was, it was enjoyable. I was still thinking about it today and just saying, wow, that movie is actually pretty enjoyable. And I would. I actually kept saying yeah. my Bologna, like all day today. <laughs> Dude, right? It's it's so catchy. Bologna. And see, that's but what yeah, I think. I w- with I all of Al Yankovic's stuff, like I said, I'm not a fan, but I know of them because they're catchy mm-hmm. songs. And a few of them have cracked like the top ten or fucking number one song. It's it's insane, dude. Yeah. So, well, he had a for his first like, uh, I, I want to say it's his first. He had a, like a number one album, just a few uh, right before the pandemic, if I'm not mistaken. Really? I, yeah. I'm. I wouldn't it be shocked. Kind of he hasn't made anything though like, in a couple years. So. Yeah, but it can't, it just straight up went to number one. I think that was like a big accomplishment because he'd never actually had an album go number one. He had some songs. Oh, that's good. Good. I know he has a. Fucking huge fan base, so he does. Yeah, he's a funny yeah. guy. Uh, I too rated it three and a half stars. I feel the exact Dang. same way. Like, yeah, it was perfection for it wasn't both films the today, best guys. Parody. Yeah, I mean, I think we had everything in line. Two, we had two different kinds of emotions for two different films. Both were entertaining enough. Not not a quality, but you know, C plus B. Yeah, I probably rewatch them. Yeah, like yeah, dude, he pisses himself at the end. <laughs> And is gunned down by the Mexican cartel guys. Like, did you not catch that? He showed up to the thing with a huge case and no one said shit to that guy. I thought, and you know, that was the one thing that kind of caught me off guard in this film. Because when he dies and then they show the writing, you know, like, and this is what happened to these, to him and the other people. And I'm just like, this is the end of the film. 
Like we're yeah, done. it literally ends with that. I what was like, "There's no fucking it? way it's ending with this," and then they did. <laughs> just goes across. And there's even a, like, oh, a no. shittily shot Photoshop image of him getting shot like six times. You guys catch that during yeah. the credits? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> His eyes are huge too. Like he just fucking. <laughs> <laughs> it's him and fake fights. All just crappily photoshopped. Dude, just, like he met the Beatles somehow. Yet once again, timeline wise, makes no fucking mm-hmm. sense. No, right. Yeah. yeah. Just chilling with the Beatles. Like, wait, what the fuck? John Lennon was dead already, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> do you not understand? It's like time traveling, bro. What the fuck? Yeah, th- it, it is definitely a movie. You can turn your brain off. You can watch it. I even think my like my dad probably would find this hilarious. Tell you the truth. So, and I think there are more jokes that we may even have missed. You know, you can go back and watch it, and you're like, I um, didn't catch that the first. And time, maybe you know? if you're a big Al Yankovic fan, like you probably see catch even more shit. Maybe so. All right, guys, so that is the end of the podcast. Thank you guys for coming back with us after our Middle Earth Marathon here. Thank you for listening, response, feedback, reviews. It's all appreciated. Marco, let them know how they can reach us. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at MoviePalsPod. Also, if you use Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Amazon Music, or Newsly, Smash that subscribe button and you'll never miss an episode. As James was saying, leave likes, reviews, share us, tell your friends about us, hack their phones, subscribe on their phones, give us those those tasty subs. We appreciate it. And we'll catch you next episode. If this is your first time listening to us, thank you. You caught us on a double feature. And um, they're not always going to be double features, but thank you for sticking around. All right, guys, so thank you so much once again, and tune in next time to episode 138. We'll be reviewing the new Black Panther film, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, as well as continuing our Coppola Corner with two films. Technically, one's just a short. Captain Ao and Peggy Sue got married. So until then, this is James. And Marco. And Nabil. Have a great one.